0: Our text is Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46. But oh, what a song that was. What a message in the song itself. And um, that tells you that are saved you may have a wayward child, you may have a wayward spouse, you may have a wayward parent, or just a very close friend. Don't give up on them. The blood of Jesus Christ still has power, and there's still power in the blood, and where sin abounded. What abounded? God's grace. It much more abounded, the Bible tells us, all through the blood. Okay, Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lamba, so back then I, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those are hard words to hear when it's his only begotten son. But in his humanity, he cries out those words. Why? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look into this message. Father, I would ask you to forgive me that I will fall short of everything that needs to be said to convey this message. But I pray that the Holy Ghost will convey it well to each heart. If there's one without Christ listening to my voice today, I pray that come to know him as their Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As we continue to look at these last utterances of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have seven of them we're considering. And we've seen so far that uh, he prayed for his persecutors. And then there's a man on another cross right beside his, and he pardons him of his sin, and he's given everlasting life to that old reprobate sinner. And then he made provision for his mother to be cared for. But this fourth utterance is perhaps the most emotional and often the most understood of all the utterances. We're told that there's darkness at noonday, at midday, at noontime. And it will remain until 3 p.m. from the sixth hour which would be noon until night the ninth hour which would be 3 p.m. There is darkness over the land. I find that interesting because they started the crucifixion at nine in the morning. At nine o'clock in the morning, it was bright as daylight and got brighter. And they could see everything. And they, during those three hours, they mocked him, they cursed him, they spat upon him. And you name it. They did it to him. They may have thought, this guy was coming to be the son of God. Look at him now. But then suddenly, at noon it turns dark. And perhaps in that day that there were those that knew about eclipse. They didn't call it that, but they knew that that had happened and they'd read about it Perhaps but no one had heard of an eclipse for three hours. That doesn't happen. But the skies are dark for the next three hours. Fear now begins to fill their hearts. The persecution of words seemed to fall off. And it seems over these dark three hours, There are only groans that are heard. The statements that are made are not cursing. They're not mocking. Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah. And they accused him of blasphemy and they wanted him on that cross for that. But could it be now that the lessening of the voices of the men and the, the blasphemy Could it just be now that the scribes and the priests and the Pharisees are wondering, have we crucified the Lord of glory? No, this darkness spells several implications that stir the souls of men. What does it mean to be dark as this for three hours? In Luke chapter 23, verse 45, it says, And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Uh, in this same chapter that we have now, in chapter 27, verse 51 of Matthew, uh, he says, or should I say, uh, 26? Oh, yeah, that's twenty seven, fifty one, He says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The veil goes back to the Old Testament when they first had a tabernacle, a tent. And inside the tent, there were two rooms. There was the holy place, and there was a tent separating it. And then inside the next room, it was the most holy place. Only the high priest could enter that room once a year. He would go in there twice, three times. He'd go in there first for himself to offer for his sins. And then he would go back in for the sins of the people, and he would offer that blood at that time. But that'd be the only day the high priest would go into the holiest place, the holiest of all, where was the mercy seat of God, where he would meet God and offer for the sins of the people. At first, it's in that tabernacle. Later, a temple is built. And there's another one there. At the mercy seat, the blood of the lamb was placed. It was symbolic of covering their sin and perhaps even taking them away. But we find out in the book of Hebrews that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That would not accomplish the work. Here in the tabernacle and then in the temple at that mercy seat at that holy of holies. There's only a covering of sin. But it's not taken away its consequence. And its power. The priest would go in. And even in the temple, when he'd go in the temple, that one time a year, there would be a rope tied around his ankle. He would go in and there would be little bells on the bottom of his robe. And they would hear those bells jingling and so forth as, as he was making the offering. But if there was a sudden thump and no more noise they realized that this high priest had come in and offered this this sacrifice in an unholy manner, in an unholy way. And God would immediately strike him dead. And because others were not allowed to walk in there, they would have to pull him out by a rope. And a new high priest would have to be anointed. Aaron's son's Nadab and Abihu, they did this. They offered strange fire, the Bible tells us. I believe that they tried to offer incense that was different than what God had prescribed. They thought the incense of Egypt was much better. The worldly way is a better way. We'll enjoy it more. And God sent fire from heaven and destroyed them both immediately. But understand that high priest would go in there as a proxy for man in that day. Going in, as we said, to offer first for his sins. He was basically going in to meet God at the mercy seat for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He was going to meet God about sin because man had no plea. Man needed help. And he came to the mercy seat. Because that would be man's only hope. Jesus Christ became sin for us. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians five twenty-one. He became the proxy, you might say, on the cross. And it's just like John the Baptist said. Behold, the Lamb of God. That taketh away the sin of the world. As he saw Jesus. That day of the baptism. And because he became sin for us. The wrath of God the Father would be poured out in his fullness. On his human spirit. There would be no grace. Afforded Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says it very simply, and yet I think it's very profound. Christ died for us. Think of that. For he was the sinless son of God. Christ died for us. Why? Simple. Because God so loved the world. How terrible it is for the eyes to see. We're told that the bell in the temple, that we read in verse 51, that it ripped from top to bottom. In an earthquake. Now, usually in an earthquake, you'd think something would rip from the bottom to the top. This ripped from the top to the bottom. I believe that God was ripping that veil in two. But what I want you to understand is this. That was a thick, heavy material veil. It is said that that veil would measure in thickness, just in its thickness, about the distance of a man's hand, be at least four inches thick. It is said that you could put a horse on one end, another horse on the other end, and they could not pull it apart. It took not just one or two men, it took several to hang that in the temple. It was a heavy veil. Not one easily removed, but the veil ripped from top to bottom. He ripped the veil in two, and thereby opening up something to us that had never been opened to all those Old Testament saints. I mean, when I think of Old Testament saints, I think of people like not only Abraham, but I, I, I think... I think of Daniel, I think of Joseph, I think of David, I think of so many of those men of God. And now we get something that to that point they did not have. When he ripped the veil in two, it gave us access. And let instead of me trying to explain the access, let's let the Bible tell us. Which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A forerunner was a boat that would be sent from a ship. Back in that day in those Greek harbors, the harbors were very shallow. And so a big ship would basically throw down the anchor and would hold it in place. And then little boats would be sent in to land. They may go get supplies. They may go get help. So many things they could go, but they could go in there and just take some time for rest and relaxation. Relaxation. But they would ride that boat in. That boat was called the forerunner. In life's stormy seas, we are anchored in Christ Jesus, but we now can go into that holy place in Jesus Christ. We can take us right into the Holy of Holies and we can find strength to help in time of need. He's there for us. And where is that great high priest? would go in once a year for men with a sin offering through Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9, that we are priests of God. Because we receive Christ the Savior, we become priests of God. And we too can enter that holy place confessing our sin. Yet pouring out our heart, even the deepest, darkest things of our heart. And find that help. And find that peace that can only be found in him. And that's why we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible in 1 Timothy also calls him the only mediator potentate. The only Pope. The only absolute ruler. Only Jesus Christ. Don't settle for anything less. But next we see the forsaken Savior. I mean this is the God man on the cross. He is 100% man. He has a human spirit. And yet he is 100% God. He has a Spirit of God, because he is God within him. So get the picture here. For three hours it's daylight. But now, for the next three hours, from midday till three o'clock, when the sun should be its brightest, it's it's dark. Why? because every sin every man has ever committed or ever will commit is placed on the innocent Son of God. And then all the wrath, not the wrath of man, but all the wrath of an almighty creator who spoke the worlds into existence of an almighty creator Who knows everything there is to know. He's omniscient. He knows my every thought. He knows my every deed. He knows my every intention. He knows it all. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. And the omnipotent, omniscient one sees all my sin upon his only begotten son. And he pours out his wrath on the human spirit of Jesus Christ, my friend. Jesus paid it all. It's in this darkness and the now quieted voices of the crowd. Maybe it's a dark eeriness when suddenly we hear a loud, perhaps even a blood-curdling sound. My God! My God! Why? Why hast thou forsaken me? He was always part of the Trinity. Even on the cross, he didn't cease in his deity being part of the Trinity. He is three divine persons in one divine essence. He is God. God became a man. Emmanuel, God with us. But now there is no grace for his human spirit. Although he is God. Although his spirit is still alive and active. But for his human spirit, there's absolutely no grace whatever at this point. Oh, in the wilderness. Forty days and forty nights being tempted of the devil. And angels were sent to meet his human need. In Gethsemane, there are, there's sweat that is so heavy that it says drops of blood. But there's no grace. He is forsaken of his heavenly father. Of whom Jesus is his only seed. In Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11 says this about the Father Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin and understand. His soul and offering for my sin. For your sin. For all time. It says he shall see. His seed. His only begotten son. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. And shall be satisfied. And by the, his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Do you realize? If the Father extends grace. At this moment. Then there's no sacrifice. For our sin. No acceptable sacrifice. So Jesus paid it all. There was no grace for him. But there will always be grace for whosoever will. In this lifetime. This is why in the garden, in the sweat, as they were great drops of blood, he prays, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. What did he mean by that? He knew no sin. He hates sin. And now sin will be all on him. All sin for all time will be placed on him. He doesn't want it. He hates sin. But if it's possible to redeem man any other way without sacrificing the holiness of God to do so, then please do it. But there was no other way. That's why we can't earn it. There was no other way. So it must be placed On me, he says, in order to pay the penalty, he knows it must be placed on him. And he who knew no sin had all the sin of all mankind for all time placed on him. And as one writer so well said it, the Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Yes, we smile when we sing it. And yet perhaps one of the deepest theological songs that we sing is Jesus Loves Me. This I know because the all-out authority tells us so, the Bible. This is why we read in Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, all sin is against God. All sin. It's against Him, the Father, in His deity. All sin is against God. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's repentance towards the Father. Faith in Jesus Christ. That is, that His sacrifice... And his righteousness will secure us. You see that sacrifice had to be a righteous sacrifice. There could be no sin in it. Absolute righteousness. And if we will do that. He secures for us eternal life. For in Ephesians 1, 6 and 7 it says to the praise of the glory of his grace. Wherein. He, that is Jesus Christ, hath made us accepted in the beloved. We're accepted before God the Father. Repentance towards God. But we're accepted in God, in, in, before God the Father, in Christ Jesus. That's why I like to sign letters, in Christ. In Christ. And he adds in the next verse, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches, the riches of his grace. That's why we read in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all know that verse, but the next two verses give it more definition. Being justified freely, not earned, freely. How? By his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation. Propitiation simply means the entire payment for all time. The propitiation, our part, through faith in His blood, to declare His, that is, Christ's righteousness. For the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. That's why it's important that you understand when somebody shares a plan of salvation and gets a Romans 3:10, or excuse me uh, yeah, uh, 10, 10 and says, "For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. It doesn't mean you're believing so strong, he just becomes righteous. No, you're believing unto the righteousness of Jesus Christ to make you accepted." Before God. And Jesus said. If you come to him. John 6. 37. He would in no wise cast you out. What a savior. Those first three hours. It's daylight. Hey everybody can see. It's wonderful. They think. What do they see though? They see a man. With his thorn crowned brow. A beard and face that's so red because they've been yanking the beard from his face. A head that is swollen, having been beaten with a reed as well as the hands of men. A body that is bleeding from head to toe because a Roman cat of nine tails has been wrapped around his body 39 times and left his body lacerated from head to toe. Nails are driven through his hands and feet. His bones are out of joint. But this is what man is doing. Isn't it interesting? When man is doing his most, we don't hear Jesus crying out. You see, it's only a picture for you and I to see his body. And realize what our sin deserved. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 2 through 6. I have a hard time reading through it. In Israel we. When we go to Israel we go into the judgment hall. We know that it's the actual judgment hall. That, where Jesus was beaten with that whip. Pilate's judgment hall. Somewhere within 50 feet of wherever you're sitting inside that room, wherever you are within that room, within 50 feet, our Savior suffered what's written here. It says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that we, when we see him, there is no beauty That we should desire him. He is despised. And rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those last three hours, is God taking over the crucifixion. It's not man. And he's pouring out wrath more than what the physical suffering could be. He's pouring it out on the human spirit of God, of our, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our sin. And though it's his only begotten son, when he sees all sin for all time placed on his own son, his attitude about sin did not change. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. We read in Isaiah 53. That is why when we read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What about Titus 3, 5? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. See, our righteousnesses, Isaiah 64 6, said, All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. Why try to earn salvation when you cannot earn it? When Jesus paid it all, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, first Peter 2 24 says, He bare our sins in his own body, on the tree that we being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye he are healed. Love grew where the blood fell. Praise God. Jesus paid it all. But as Acts chapter 20 and verse 21 says, you still have to come to him. Admit you're a sinner that you deserve to go to hell and there's no other way but Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior. Now understand, when you're calling upon him to save your soul, it's not joining a club. It's entering into a relationship that is strong as a marital vow. And it's a forever relationship. He's the head. But oh, he's a loving head. He loves you. He died for you. So let me give you this final thought. He would do all that. He would do all of that for me, for you. God would become a man when he could have destroyed this entire world and made a new creation. But instead, in his love, he did that for you and for me. Do you actually think that to die without Christ, that somehow, one second after death, there's going to be another way? Oh, no. No other way. Christian? Let's not be ashamed at his appearing. Let's not be ashamed of him that we won't share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Jesus paid it all. I don't deserve to be here. But God in his grace has allowed it. And the day's coming when although on our knees we've been able to say it many times, I can look at Him face to face and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Let's bow our heads, please.